0: I have about 10 minutes to talk about economic policy in a country with 10 to the power of nine people, I think. Um, that's not easy. Uh, but I'll, So I'm just going to uh, restrict myself to a few questions and issues, uh, n- not much to providing any answers. So... Um, Policy aspirations, Um, the aim of economic policies, the the primary aim, of course, is inclusive growth, or what we used to call widely shared prosperity. But the necessary condition for that is rapid economic growth, not least because rapid economic growth means a rapid increase in government revenues which can be used to spread the benefits of growth widely. Uh, So... uh, what is India's record? Well, as you know, we moved from the so-called Hindu rate of growth to um, an a, a average rate of growth of about 6% a year for the last three decades, which is a very impressive performance. And in the last decade uh, that's just passed, India achieved 8% growth rate for several years and showed it the capacity to do that. Now, if you have that sort of growth rate, if India continues to have that growth rate for two decades from now, or better still, for four decades from now, uh, it will achieve uh, standards of living which are currently enjoyed in Western Europe. Uh, That's the, the magic of compound interest. And in doing that, India starts with some very favorable opportunities First is, the first is that the, the age distribution of the population is shifting towards those of working age. That's the so-called demographic window. Secondly, savings and investment rates are now extremely high, well, into the, uh, well above 30% of GDP, approaching East Asian levels. Uh, India has a very dynamic uh, corporate sector, uh, India has the late-comer advantage in technology, which is, is a huge uh, scope for technological catch-up. And finally, uh, India is a democracy, which, though it can be very irritating in the short term, uh, has, uh, is a source of long-run strength. I mean, we do not face, or we're less likely to face the sort of political implosion that could happen in a country, possibly China, When democratic demands uh, collide with an authoritarian uh, regime. So these are all, um, so it's quite plausible to argue on the basis of these factors that India has now uh, reached the sort of escape velocity that is required to achieve self fulfilling growth. Um, However, if you look at around the world uh, in the 20th century, you find that most fast growth spurts fizzle out because countries find it difficult to stay the course. Uh, you, uh, the slowdown uh, might occur. Uh, it's, it's very rare for a low-income country to grow rapidly all the way to become a, a, a high-income country. and. It's hard to think of cases other than in the 20th century, other than Japan and South Korea and possibly one or two other East Asian countries. Uh, So what happens? Is that countries slow down because they have fiscal crises or because they fail to increase productivity after they have plucked the low-hanging fruit, so to speak, or because they fall prey to corruption and crony capitalism, uh, or they fall prey to social and political instability. And you can think, just think of some countries in Latin America, think of Indonesia. You have several, uh, in some cases, a couple of decades of very fast growth, and then it it all uh, stops. Now, this raises some very relevant issues for India, because I, I do not think, I don't think India will achieve what it wants to achieve unless uh, it completes uh, its very large and unfinished agenda of economic reform. I don't have to tell this audience what the components of that are. Unless it um, uh, achieves a much higher level of indigenous technological capability, because as countries grow, uh, They they need not simply to reach the frontier of technology, but to advance the frontier of technology, which is a much more difficult operation. And even more difficult than all these issues are probably the issues related to state capacity, uh, corruption, uh, crony capitalism, and how to tackle these. I mean, the optimistic view is that as countries develop, the middle class grows and demands these changes and they come about. Uh, but that's not, that's not necessarily uh, what happens. We have plenty of examples of that not happening. So, um, And th- uh, th- there is unfortunately a, a, a distressing rise in these things in India now. Think about, for example, the all the... Uh, Scams related to um, uh, securing land for industrial development or for mining. I mean, there are plenty of cases where the state acquires the land very cheaply, sells it cheaply to developers, who then go on to make a killing, uh, and the profits are shared, if you like, between uh, politicians and and the developers. Uh, So that's just an issue that uh, has surfaced, but you know that that this is quite a pervasive issue in India. And finally, social stability. Um, well, social stability depends on, partly, uh, on my next uh, question, which is to do with inclusion, which of course is the primary uh, object of uh, economic policy. Now, um, on this, India's record, India's record has been very good on growth, but it has been uh, not satisfactory on inclusion, the poverty ratio has fallen, but very slowly. There are, by the latest count, there are still 400 million poor, acutely poor people in India. And other measures of deprivation are also in some ways quite shocking. So, what are the two major requirements for inclusive growth? On, on both of which, India faces very severe problems. The first one is how how to secure rapid growth of employment for low-skilled labour. Now, that's a problem because, firstly, India's labour force this is the ob- the flip side of the demographic bonus. India's labour force is rising by about 10 million a year. So, uh, you have to provide jobs, decent, productive jobs, for this. Uh, rapid increase in the labour force as well as uh, employ in decent productive jobs the backlog of all those people who are in the informal sector, not all the informal sector parts of it are quite dynamic but there are also millions of people scra- uh, scratching a living and you have to provide jobs for both the new entrance to the labour force and to this backlog. And it's not obvious that the government of India has any uh, policies to do this because what happened in East Asia was that these, the, the, the same uh, story, they, but the people were absorbed in labor-intensive manufacturing industry, with which, in, in, by the way, they flooded the world with, uh, lo- with labor-intensive manufactured goods. Now, India has tried to skip that stage. Uh, and Indian industry is largely successful, very successful, but it's largely capital-intensive and it's largely skill-intensive. But that does raise the problem. Uh, how uh, is employment going to be provided for uh, uh, this rapidly increasing labor force? Uh, well, I have views on that, but we can, we can leave there. That. That's an issue, that's, that's a question. And the second uh, aspect of, in, of inclusion is, of course, effective uh, social support policies, which are important if India wants to, trying to become a social democracy. Now, the difficulty with um, with the social support policies in India, by by which I mean a social safety net for people, uh, uh, I have only two minutes, Uh, but a social safety net, but also policies for what we used to call equality of opportunity uh, to spread uh, education and and health. Uh, The the difficult, the the, uh, social support system in India is creaking, if not broken. Consider, for example, two examples. One is the food distribution system. Now, the, what what happens in India is that the Food Corporation of India buys wheat and rice from uh, the market at market prices and sells it to poor people, those who have a below poverty line ration card, through hundreds of fair price shops. The shocking fact is that 60 percent of the food doesn't reach the people that it is supposed to reach. Uh, Education, uh, very high rates of teacher absenteeism, shockingly low quality of education in in primary schools. When teachers do turn up, they seem to be engaged in personal pastimes. Again, what is the uh, what is the uh, what is the answer? Well, a key question there is: Yes, it is the business of the state to finance social support, but the state should the state be seeking as much as it does in India to also deliver social support. Now take the example that I gave of the food distribution system. Uh, surely a, a reform of this, of, this, of this system has to be that the food corporation of India operates as a genuine buffer stock operation, buying food when, when it's cheap and selling when it's, when it's dear in order to keep stabilized prices but the distribution of food, the, com- the government doesn't have a comparative advantage in the distribution of food. That should be left to the private trade uh, and, and the reform should be, the, the, you need to wind up the, the, the public distribution system, which is enormously expensive and, and, and doesn't reach the poor. And you need to give the poor direct income support into their bank accounts or vouchers, which is technologically now becoming increasingly possible and that way, all the diversion of food into the, onto the open market will be averted. Now, this is not to say there are no difficulties in all this, but this is a major question in India, which is how to deliver social support, because otherwise you do not have a, a major component of inclusive growth being achieved. Uh, so, uh, the last... my. I am going to wind up. There are only two concluding thoughts. The first is that, um, that um, uh, there is there is a tendency for still in India for the Indian state to be a jack of all trades, but not to deliver on its basic core functions, and that is something that that ha- it has not yet found the right balance between the state and the market and liberalization and regulation. So this is, I think, a major issue. And and the only other uh, thought I have is, uh, is that India has many assets, but I do not think its resurgence in the 21st century is a done deal. Thank you.